Hello and welcome to Cardio Buzz, your weekly cardiology podcast. Every week, we bring you a selection of practice-changing research, conference proceedings, guidelines, news, and interviews with experts. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Hello everyone, and welcome to this episode of Wearables and Heartbeats. In the previous episode, we gave an overview on two technologies used in the wearables to monitor the heartbeats, the ECG-based that are accurate, available in few dedicated devices, and need a conscious patient to activate the recording, PPG-based devices that depend on reflection of light from the skin surface to generate a pulse wave. They are less accurate, but they work constantly in the background, and they do not need a conscious patient to activate them. In the second episode, we discussed the application of wearable devices in athletes who either present with an abnormal recording from the heart rate device or who present with actual symptoms of palpitation or syncope. Welcome to CardioBuzz. I'm Hussein Hishmat, Professor of Cardiology and Interventional Cardiologist. And in this week, we will discuss the application of wearable digital devices in atrial fibrillation and ventricular arrhythmia. AFib is a situation where there is electric chaos in the atria with multiple electric circuits and foci coming mostly from the pulmonary veins. AFib is a common sustained clinical arrhythmia. It can result in strokes and in heart failure. AFib can occur at young age, but the incidence tends to increase as we grow older. It can remain silent for a long time, but the first presentation could be a stroke or heart failure. Luckily, atrial fibrillation can be diagnosed just with a 30-second single lead ECG strip. And because atrial fibrillation can remain silent for a long time, screening is important. It has the potential to diagnose the disease early when it is silent, treat early, and therefore avoiding complications. But first, let's define what is screening and whom should we screen. Screening means testing a person or a group for a disease that may be present or not. We have several situations of screening. Opportunistic screening is screening performed for clinical contexts other than the reason that we are screening for. For example, an individual going to the GP for headache or visiting the pharmacy to collect medications or during vaccination. Systemic screening is looking at an entire population searching for a disease. For example, individuals above the age of 75 at their home. High-risk group screening refers to searching for atrial fibrillation in patients who already got a stroke or are hospitalized, for example, for heart failure. Which method and which device should be used to screen for atrial fibrillation? We have smartwatches, patches, and ECG handheld devices and bands. The handiest tools are the smartwatches. Now these smartwatches have automated algorithms that can be used to detect atrial fibrillation with high accuracy, especially when the measurements are taken in the comfortable position. However, if the patient is moving, then the accuracy becomes low. We have two smartwatches that have the FDA approval for AFib screening. There is an algorithm in the document that suggests different tools for different situations. Generally, the choice of screening depends on the prevalence of atrial fibrillation, which is determined by age, comorbidity, and the presence of stroke. So we can think of roughly three scenarios. For a young patient who just complains of palpitation, Here, opportunistic screening with a PPG device is usually enough because AFib is unlikely, so we don't need the high accuracy of the ECG-based devices. Second scenario is an elderly patient who has comorbidities 
like hypertension, diabetes, or chronic kidney disease. These patients can be screened systematically or opportunistically during a GP visit or a pharmacy visit with an ECG-based solution like a smartwatch, patch, or a handheld device. For a patient who already got a stroke or heart failure, then ECG patches are probably the best option because the patch will stay on the skin for one month and has a high yield comparable to implantable loop recordings. Catching AFib in these situations will change the management completely because we will start oral anticoagulants, rivaroxaban, apixaban, dabigatran, unlike stroke without atrial fibrillation, where antiplatelets will be enough. Wearables even after diagnosis can help in the management and the follow-up of established AFib patients. The basics of treating AFib are A, B, C. A is avoiding stroke, B is better symptom control, C is cardiovascular and other comorbidities. There's a nice mobile application that is endorsed by the European Society of Cardiology. It's called the Catch My AFib app. I will add a link to that app in the description. The app has an interface for the patient and an interface for the physician. The patient interface allows the patient to log in their symptoms, calculate their SHAD score, and understand the risk of stroke. The app also has a physician interface, which is like a database that connects a physician with a patient. The physician can see the symptoms, see the heart rate, the ECG data, and manage accordingly. Patients with AFib can be instructed to use the PPG device or an ECG-based device three times a day, one week before visiting the doctor, or whenever they have symptoms. The results are sent to the physician to decide if the AFib is controlled or not, or if the patient needs cardioversion or it can be delayed. Keep in mind that PPG devices may underestimate the rate of atrial fibrillation by roughly 10 beats per minute. Even after AFib ablation, patients can be monitored at 3-month, 6-month, and 12-month to assess the success of the procedure and the residual burden of AFib. Ventricular arrhythmia are usually more dangerous than AFib because they can cause loss of consciousness and collapse. The use of digital devices for ventricular arrhythmia lags behind that use for atrial fibrillation because these arrhythmia can cause collapse, as we said, so the patient will not be able to initiate the recording of an ECG device or a smartwatch. If we go for PPG devices, they can tell us that the heart rate is fast or slow, regular or irregular, but they cannot differentiate ventricular arrhythmia from supraventricular arrhythmia. For this situation, when we suspect a ventricular arrhythmia, ECG patches again are the best because they can stay on the chest for one month and they do not need activation by the patient. ECG-based devices can also examine the QRS duration and the QT interval and this can be important in patients with inherited ventricular arrhythmia, long QT syndrome, Brogada syndrome, and they can also monitor the QT interval for patients who are taking antibiotics, some psychiatry medications or antiarrhythmic drugs that can prolong the QT interval and can lead to fatalities. Overall, the studies on QT interval with digital devices are small and they're not very conclusive. Therefore, digital devices should be used with caution to monitor drug effects QT interval, and QRS duration. That was all for this week's episode. If you like the content, please hit the like, subscribe, and activate the bell to get notified at coming episodes. You can write your comments on how would you think be the best utilization 
of these devices in different clinical situations and give examples from your practice. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cardio Buzz. If you like the content, follow the show on your favorite podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. You will find previous episodes and get alerts to new ones. Please rate the show and write your own review of the content. You can share the episodes to spread knowledge and benefit. Enjoy your weekend and see you next Saturday.